As always on a Friday, we start off with our insert, a discussion, an ongoing rolling discussion of what's going on between the church and the state. Uh, this morning we are roll, uh, we are rolled, <laughs> we are joined by Daniela Ellerbeck. Uh, she is an attorney of the High Court of South Africa and serves as a parliamentary liaison. Uh, she is a graduate from Rhodes University and she has specialized in litigation. Uh, she joins us from an organization called 4SA, Freedom of Religion South Africa, which is a legal advocacy organization working to protect and promote the constitutional right to religious freedom in South Africa. Daniela, it is so good to have you with us this morning. Morning, Mark. Always a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Now, if I understand things correctly, the the Department of Health uh, has put, well, if I understand things correctly, I think everybody in South Africa <laughs> knows that the Department of Health has published uh, or requested for comments on a series of draft regulations um, under the National um, Health Act, and uh, that this will give the government the same kinds of sweeping powers to control every aspect of our lives and society as they've been exercising um, over the past two years during the state of national disaster. Um, what is the motivation for the government to introduce these amended draft regulations at this time, Daniela? So, Mark, perhaps a good place to start because, as we know, things change very fast. Um, is to say that these <clears throat> draft national health regulations, excuse me, no problem, are different and separate to and distinct from the draft post-COVID regulations published by the COCTA minister on the 29th of March and which are open for comment until five o'clock today. Now, the draft health regulations were published by the health minister and they are open for comment until the 15th of April. And what the COCTA minister's post-COVID regulations want to do is to regulate us for a month after the state of disaster ends. So according to a media statement released by government on uh, Wednesday, I believe it was, they are hoping to end the state of disaster possibly as soon as Tuesday next week, the 5th of um, April. And then the COCTA minister's regulations will kick in for 30 days after that. So those things regulate the fact that you still need to wear um, masks in public places um, if you're inside a building. <clears throat> that gatherings um, over a thousand people indoors need proof of vaccination um, or proof of a negative COVID test. Um, and they will stay in effect for 30 days after the state of disaster ends. Now, the health minister's regulations, the ones that are open until the 15th of April, are the big ones and the ones we should be concerned about because they will replace the regulations that the cocktail minister made and they will go on indefinitely. So that is, that is the difference between the two processes. I know many people have been asking us if the ones that were open until the 15th of April have now been shortened to the 1st of April. No, there are two different separate regulations. Um, the 1st of April ones will only remain in effect for a month. Um, so they are not, in our view as 4SA, as critical to comment on as the ones that are open for comment until the 15th of April and will remain in, in effect indefinitely. I mean, all of that is is really helpful preamble, Daniela. And and when you use the word indefinitely, obviously one gets a little bit nervous because an indefinite state of the past two years with no checks and balances in place would 
would be uh, a major infringement to what I perceive as being religious freedom uh, in that our freedoms have certainly been impinged over this last period um, and and you know kind of uh, uh, talking about the word indefinite does create all kinds of alarm bells in my mind how will these regulations work in practice um, and how I mean like my first response is concern but how concerned should the listeners that are that are on this morning uh, be as they hear you talking so Mark um, why forest is concerned about the draft health regulations the ones that are open for comment until 15th of April yes is that first of all regulations um, in this context we can call them rules because that's what they are. They're rules for our conduct in society mm. that a minister makes under an existing law like the National Health Act. So regulations are not a bill that gets tabled in Parliament and we as a community and citizens of South Africa get a chance to exercise our civil rights and comment on it and tell Parliament, no, we think this is a bad idea, this is a good idea, think about changing it this way. We don't get to participate at all. And... Um, so that is not subject to parliamentary oversight. There's no requirement for the Minister of Health to give um, reasons for the, when some of these regulations kick in. For this reason, you know, should the draft health regulations, which the health minister has, and he doesn't need to, but he has opened them up for pub public comment until the 15th of April, should they kick in? They don't require parliamentary oversight. If he changes the regulations in the future, he doesn't need to table them in Parliament, he doesn't need to ask for public comment, he doesn't need to give reasons. So effectively, the government can do what it wants without the checks and balances you mentioned. Now, what is concerning is that re these regulations kick in and become active and limit our fundamental rights in very drastic ways as soon as the minister lists something as notifiable medical conditions. So basically the regulations or the rules say, when something is listed as a notifiable medical condition by the minister of health, the following rules apply for mask wearing, gatherings and so forth. And the minister doesn't need to give reasons or ask the public for any input when he decides to declare something as a notifiable medical condition. And that is why it's so important to participate in the opportunity that we have been given um, to comment on the draft regulations before they're promulgated and become law. Uh, I mean, absolutely hearing what you're saying. So so what are then the, the broad concerns about the draft regulations? Uh, what are the key things that we need to be looking out for at this stage? Mm, Mark, so the broad concerns, not necessarily religious freedom concerns, but just the broad concerns are, is that obviously, um, as I've stated, the minister, the regulations kick into effect once the minister declares something as a notifiable medical condition. And again, he has the sole discretion to do that. Uh, there's no requirement on him to consult with us, the public, whose rights are going to be the rights that are limited. There's no requirement for him to consult with Parliament or to give any reasons for choosing to list something as a notifiable medical condition. And then importantly, the draft regulations only consider the risk of transmission of a disease. So how contagious something is, not the actual severity of the disease. So theoretically, it is possible that something as inconsequential but very contagious as the common cold 
could be listed as, for example, category four notifiable medical condition um, mm. in terms of these regulations. And once it's listed as a notifiable medical condition, the regulations come into effect and they drastically and in our view unreasonably limit our constitutional rights. And what is quite interesting is that so the regulations have category one, two, three, and four notifiable medical conditions, with category one being the most severe and category four being the least severe. But the regulations impose the same degree of limitation on our human rights, irrespective of the severity of the disease. So irrespective of whether we're dealing with a category four notifiable medical condition or a category one notifiable medical condition, uh, your rights are limited to the same extent. And again, as long as that disease is listed as a notifiable medical condition, these regulations come into effect and remain in effect indefinitely. So. Something else I want to point out is that the regulations um, make many references to pandemic, endemic, and so forth. But there's no definition for pandemic or endemic. There's no defined criteria for the minister declaring something in pandemic or endemic. And importantly, there's no process for him to do so. So again, there's no oversight, no public comment, no re no um, requirement to give reasons for declaring something to be a pandemic or endemic. So these are the broad concerns about the draft regulations. So the public can see they've drafted very broadly. They come into effect as soon as something is listed as a notifiable medical condition. The minister can list anything as a notifiable medical condition. And once these regulations come into effect, they are the rules that limit our fundamental rights quite severely. I mean, you would think, given <clears throat> the fact that we've been in a, a national state of disaster for two years, that um, the legislators would have had time to put more um, more tighter legislation together um, when they presented something to the country uh, in terms of what will be the new normal or what will govern um, uh, the, our, our response to future pandemics and even to this current one. Uh, you would think they wouldn't have needed to be so broad uh, as to offer legislation that could curtail freedoms to this extent. I, I mean, it just does sound bizarre um, and, and a little bit scary. Uh, in terms of the, the year and the now though, what are the kinds of uh, limitations to our freedoms, particularly to religious rights, uh, that we should take note of? Uh, what's currently on the table? Mark, so I think let's discuss what these draft regulations will do when it comes to religious freedom. because. Yeah. As said, once the minister lists something as a notifiable medical condition, let's say he lists COVID as a notifiable medical condition, which is the whole reason these draft regulations are even, you know, being written mm. and that we're considering them. Um, and again, I think something that we learned out of the state of disaster is that because we have been in a state of disaster for two years under the Disaster Management Act, which is a law that was um came into effect and passed in 2002 when the president signed it. So again, that law was written, you know, early 2000s and quite broadly written without the necessary mechanisms in place to have sufficient public participation, oversight, need to give reasons, all of that. Broad powers given. And I think what we've seen from the state of disaster is that unless we write a law narrowly with all the checks and balances in place. Mm. We can't assume that the government will, out of its goodwill, adhere to all of those checks and balances. 
you know, freely and voluntarily. We need to make sure that's written into law. So when we turn to these draft regulations and how they will limit our fundamental rights and freedoms indefinitely, because remember, as soon as the minister lists something as notifiable medical condition, these regulations and rules kick into effect and they dictate our daily lives. So the proposed regulations um, by the health minister would require, for example, proof of vaccination if you want to attend any gathering over a thousand people indoors and two thousand people outdoors. Importantly, they don't even make um, provision for a negative COVID test. So under the current regulations that we find ourselves under, the current rules that are in place today, this morning, mm-hmm. um, they make provision for a negative COVID test. These regulations don't. So proof of vaccination is the only way you're getting into an indoor gathering of over a thousand people or an outdoor gathering of over two thousand people. Um, and this particularly um, unfairly discriminates against religious organizations with larger venues and congregations. So, for example, your mega churches who have venues that could easily seat over a thousand people indoors with social distancing. Um, and this would put them in the unenviable position of having to decide okay, we're going to enforce mandatory vaccination for our congregation if they want to attend church or if they want to attend a conference. And if you are unvaccinated, then there is not a chance that you're going to set foot in our church. That is a gross and unjustifiable violation of not only the congregant's right to religious freedom, which obviously um, people have religious objections uh, to taking the vaccine. So some of them won't be able to take it. Um, Some of them, you know, may be undecided about taking it and working through their faith about taking it. So not only is this a unjustifiable violation of their right to religious freedom, which includes the right not to do anything that goes against your conscience or belief, but it's also a violation of the right of the religious organizations um, to be able to dictate the terms of their who associates with them, who attends Sunday service, their internal runnings, their right in terms of Section 31 of the Constitution to practice their um, religion together as a community. Now, something else which um, is also important to note is that the draft regulations by the health minister would, for example, impose mandatory medical examination, hospitalization, quarantine, isolation, and treatment for merely having been exposed to someone with a notifiable medical condition or for being simply suspected. I mean, the draft regulations, the way they're written, they don't even require a reasonable suspicion. It's enough that you're suspected. It doesn't, it doesn't even need to be reasonable um, of having contracted a notifiable medical condition. Now, importantly, and I mean, this is where it, the nitty gritty comes in. Things like treatment are not defined in the regulations. So we're sitting with <clears throat> um, the regulations being drafted so widely that theoretically you could have the common call declared a notifiable medical condition and then all our rights get limited. Pandemic and endemic aren't defined. So... As soon as the minister declares something a pandemic or endemic, without having to give reasons for it, our rights are limited. Indefinitely, because no duration is given for how long our rights will be limited. And now treatment is undefined, and you could be forced to have mandatory treatment without a court order. And, you know, so theoretically, again, this could be used to impose mandatory vaccinations or, you know, compulsory quarantine in a state facility. Now, in terms of the regulations, as they are at the moment, to uh, to fail to comply with them would incur criminal sanctions. So you could go to jail for up to 10 years and or be ordered to pay an unspecified 
so limitless fine, whatever, you know, the court deems fit in that circumstances. So that is quite important to note is that actually these are very harsh regulations and failure to comply with them is a crime and you could go to jail for 10 years. Mm. Daniela, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, if I, if I had to just summarize my understanding, it would be A, there's legislation on the table, B, it seems to be too broad um, in terms of implementation and, and is open to abuse uh, in the future. Um, C, uh, the kinds of abuse that it's open to will will affect the religious community in ways that it might not affect other communities. And so for those that are listening this morning on Radio Pulpit, this is something that, that can potentially affect us as a community, um, especially in the future. And, and the future is just in a couple of weeks' time when the legislation comes into effect. Um, and, and so I, I'm guessing that there will be listeners all over the country right now, whether they are pastors or members of churches, um, who immediately recognize that they need to do something about this. So what can we do? Is there anything that we can do to object to these draft regulations? And how much time do we have in order to lodge that objection? Um, and, and of course, I know that there is because I've been tracking you guys on Facebook and I've been tracking you guys on your website. But w- what do the listeners need to do and how much time do they have to do it? So, Mark, the Minister of Health, Dr. Fala, has opened up these regulations for public comment, which is a wonderful thing. He didn't need to do that. So let's use our chance to actually make our voice heard and say, no, these regulations are far too wide. They're far too draconian. We need them limited to a much greater extent. We need them to be more clearly, clearly drafted. Mm. And the deadline for submissions is Friday, the 15th of April. So, again, this is... Different regulations, different process to the Cocteau Minister's regulations, which yes. close comment today at five. Yes. And we need to make sure that we use our opportunity until the 15th of April to comment on the draft health regulations, which are the ones that will remain in effect indefinitely once the health minister declares something as an notifiable medical condition. Now, obviously, many people um, are wondering, okay, but what do we say? You know, we have no idea. So... FOIS has gone through the regulations and we have tried to make it easy for both churches, religious organizations and individuals to make submissions to the Department of Health because remember every submission counts. So, I mean, we've discussed the public participation process before on this um, radio show, so I'm not gonna go into it in detail, but a submission is different to a petition. Government doesn't need to listen to a petition, but it does need to consider a submission. Okay. Um, so use the draft submissions we've compiled, change them as you see fit. Um, they are just there to give you a framework Sorry, of what Daniela, the big concerns can, can, are can I, and how can, the regulations should be changed. And then for individuals, um, we've teamed up with DRSA so people can use their online platform. I understand it's up and running again. Um, I know people had problems last night, but I understand from DRSA that it's up and running again um, today. And the listeners and viewers can find the links to all of this on the FORSA website, which is www.forsa.org.za. So when you click on the homepage, you will arrive at an image of a banner 
that is the DRSA um, submissions. If you click on it, it will take you through to the DRSA site as an individual, which you can complete. And then at the bottom of the homepage, um, there is an article entitled Template Submissions, Draft Health Regulations. If you click on it, you will find a video containing all our concerns in depth, an alert containing all our concerns in depth. You will find links to the um, draft individual submission. We've compiled for individuals if they want to send something directly to the Department of Health and not use DRSA. Um, and we've compiled a template submission for religious organizations, which they can send directly to the Department of Health. Uh, we were in contact with um, the relevant employee at the Department of Health yesterday who is receiving these submissions. She is receiving them. Um, when we spoke to her, her inbox was already full to about 60,000 emails and they were looking at expanding the size of her inbox. As far as we know, she's received everything. Nothing has bounced back. Um, so yes, people have <laughs> a variety of avenues to use here to comment. I, I'm laughing just at the idea of one person having to go through 60,000 submissions. I do want to underline something that you said, Daniela, um, and that's that the government might receive a petition, but they don't have to listen to a petition. A submission is different. A submission they need to at least take into account. They need to at least um, uh, 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 handle that to one degree or another. And so the call to the listeners is to join the other 60,000 voices that have already made submissions to the Department of Health um, and to add your voice in a clear submission and you can do that through the mechanism of dearsouthafrica.co.za uh, and you can Google them, you'll easily find them, and you're looking for the Health Act Amendment um, specifically uh, in terms of that submission. Daniela, that was a really comprehensive um, um, uh, start <laughs> to our Friday morning, but I really appreciate the work that you guys do uh, at 4SA. You are always so well informed, um, so clear, um, and in this case, uh, comprehensive in terms of articulating both the problem, um, but well as well as the way that we can be involved uh, in the solution to the present uh, um, uh, issue that we are facing. So thank you so much for that. Really appreciate you guys, Daniela. Thank you, Mark. If the listeners and yourself understood and know what to do, then we have done a good job. And and listeners, um, please, uh, two things. One is, uh, if you want more information about 4SA, you can go to their website, www.4sa.org.za. Uh, you can also find them on Facebook. They have a Facebook page, Freedom of Religion South Africa. Uh, and then in the show notes this morning, I'll make sure that I put um, the links that we have, um, both to the Dear SA um, uh, uh, submission, as well as to the draft health regulations template submission for organizations uh, which is on the 4SA uh, page I'll put that into the show notes and this particular pod, uh, this particular conversation with Daniela gets podcast straight after the show so by about 12 o'clock 1 o'clock it is available wherever you pick up your good podcasts but you can go to www.irono.fm and type radio pulpit and you will find this podcast it will be there and I'll pass it on to 4SA as well so that they can make it available to their, um, to their audience. Daniela, once again, thank you so much. It was great chatting to you this morning. Always a pleasure, Mark, and thank you for the opportunity.